pre-recorded, completely unscripted and about as organised as the thought processes of some members of the Australian Senate. You're listening to news, views and opinions on events from here at home and around the globe on politics, business and society in general. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Hello and welcome. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast coming to you from Australia, this is a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Joe the Tech Guy. Morning, all. And returning like the prodigal son that he is, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Joe. G'day, listeners. How are you all? It's been a while. So anyway, I'm... Coming into you from Mackay, which is in North Queensland, and it's actually warmed up quite a lot, so I've turned on the air conditioner tonight. So, yeah. Okay. It's warm enough up, up there for the air conditioner, and it's good to have you with us, Scott. We were talking about it earlier. Um, that we Pleased of, to be back. I played the sort of highlights of our submarine talks over the years, and it was good to hear mm. your voice. And then, uh, dear listener, Shay is away. She's in Perth at the moment, and despite being given strict instructions to take her microphone and stuff with her she forgot and so so anyway Shay won't be with us tonight or the next week but whenever she gets back from Perth she'll be back and Scott's filling in so just a cameo role Scott and good to have you and of course very much if you're in the chat room say hello and uh, Dire Straits John Simmons says hello and so tonight what are we going to talk about well of course we're going to talk about submarines <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> With Scott here and with what's been going on, we have to talk about submarines and oh, a bunch of other things. But you know what? Who knows if we'll even get to them because uh, submarines going to take a bit of a bit of effort to go through. So, so let's kick off with a submarine discussion. And you know, where do you begin with this fiasco? And my, my main point is, I'm just so disappointed in in the regular press, not only just the Murdoch press where I have very low expectations, but even the other press like The Guardian and, and places like that, just really poor coverage of the whole submarine fiasco. So they really demonstrated, even the people, you know, the ABC, Laura Tingle, people like this who should know something about these issues just clearly know nothing about them. And uh, that's what sort of disappointed me the most. So so the ABC and other other groups basically allowed the government in the first few days to sort of spin a story which was, wow, we're getting nuclear, so it's okay to ditch France and and how wonderful it is that the USA thinks we're so special that we're getting these nuclear submarines. And the only two places that I saw any criticism of this in the early days was Crikey, where Bernard Keane says, strange, I could swear the government has utterly screwed up a $100 billion submarine program. Well, all I'm reading about is how exciting it is that we're going nuclear. And, of course, the John Menadue blog was going crazy with submarine articles. So, Scott, your thoughts when you heard about the the deal, the dumping of the French, the signing, well, the signing up to some vague deal with the Americans or the Brits, what, what were your initial thoughts? Okay. My initial thoughts were probably a little bit different to yours. Mm. I wasn't excited but I also felt that we really had no choice because I believe that China has treated Australia like shit for six to nine months. Mm-hmm. 
And if we had a government that had a decent pair that actually say to China, fine, you don't want to buy our barley or our wine, we're not going to sell you any of our fucking iron ore either. Pardon the language. But I do get rather angry and frustrated over this whole thing. Now, so, so hang on. So, new- so you're thinking because of our poor relationship with China, yeah. it, was a, it was a good idea. A good idea to go nuclear. I can understand why the government decided to go nuclear. Now, I honestly believe that we went to nuclear because we were under pressure from the United States to get involved and do uh, freedom of navigation operations through the South China Sea. Mm -hmm. And with a nuclear-powered submarine, you could get there without a problem. You could get there and back without a problem. Now, I'm not sure whether the distance would be what. We could get there without a problem and get back. Just being there would be a problem, wouldn't it? Okay. Yeah, we could get there and back without a problem. Okay. What, what, Assuming that China doesn't then depth charge us and that sort of just, shit just, while we're there, what, then we've got problems. What, what do we want to do while we're there in the South China uh, Sea with our nuclear submarine? What, what exactly do we want to do over there? I'm not, you didn't let me finish. I'm not convinced we should be over there. However, I can understand why the Yanks wanted to provide us with nuclear submarines so we could get over there without a problem. So, From their point of view, I can fully understand it because they have. Yeah, so can I. Because now they've now they've fully armed their their deputy their deputy sheriff in this in this neighbourhood. Yeah, they can. So they've fully fully armed the deputy sheriff in this neighbourhood. Yeah. So we could go over there. We could do freedom of navigation operations over there and move. You know. Okay. Let's let's just put some structure to this, Scott. So first okay. up, first up, the deal with the French had to end at some point because it was going to be impossible. To build these submarines, it's going to be impossible to build these submarines because yeah. they were they were trying to reverse engineer something that was supposed to be a nuclear powered submarine, yeah. but they were going to reverse engineer it to put in a diesel electric, yes, which was never going to work. And basically, you know, submarine I, experts said they couldn't imagine a more complicated or risky procedure to do in terms exactly. of major technology with with, with exactly. a large infrastructure bought- piece like that. Yeah, so we had we should to... have just bought them off the shelf from Japan and moved on. Okay, anyway. well then why, if that's the case, Scott, so we both agree the deal had to end. Everybody agrees on that because it was a stupid deal. But if you're uh, saying, yeah, we, if you're saying we should have... Ended it. If you're saying... I think the way it was ended, it was wrong. Yeah, okay. I think that we should have ended it a little okay, but, nicer than the way we did. Okay, but you said we should have in the beginning have bought some cheap Japanese ones. Yeah, we okay. should have, absolutely. So why shouldn't we have bought them now? Why not buy those cheap Japanese ones now? I don't know. That's the whole point. There's obviously been some sort of discussion between the United States and Australia about Australia's role in trying to keep China in check, yeah. you know, because that's that's what it looks like, that's what it smells like mm. to me, is that there's been some sort of involvement to get us involved have the ability to travel that far north to be a pain in the ass to the well, Chinese. Well, let's face it: a nuclear-powered submarine is is used for attacking other countries, mm. right? And that's why they call them attack class submarines. Yeah. yeah. And really, as Australians, shouldn't we just be worried about defending ourselves? One would have thought so. So, which is why I think we would have been better off buying the cheaper, smaller Japanese submarines. They could have just patrolled in the water close to Australia. Had they've got had anyone actually come in here, we could have sent them further north. 
torpedoed them on the way down here until they got into the range of our surface-to-surface ballistic missiles, which would then neutralise the invading fleet. Indeed. And And by that stage, the Yanks would have got involved and that sort of stuff, you know. That's probably why we we put Americans... um, that's probably where we put Marines up there in Darwin because if history tells us anything, you've got to kill Americans to get them involved in the war. <laughs> so, <laughs> Joe, the tech guy, you got any thoughts on this submarine <laughs> defensive, offensive choice of submarine at all? I know that the Navy are quite keen for a an offensive role. Yes. Mm. Um, but but the, the need for it. But, yeah, it, it seems silly that... Nuclear submarines make sense in terms of a fuel. Mm. The one place you do want nuclear uh, reactors are in long-range naval vessels. Mm. Absolutely, and, and I agree wholeheartedly with you. So if we, um, you know, if we did have an, a real reason to be in the South China Sea, then I agree we should have a nuclear submarine. But we don't have a good reason to be there. It was interesting reading the comments about we, we think France as being Europe, but actually... There's French Polynesia and there is New Caledonia, which mm. are literally on our doorstep. Mm. And so France has a lot of territory just east of us, mm-hmm. which they're very keen on defending, and that's why they wanted the bilateral relationship. Nasty. But, Go on. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> well, any expansionist. Because everyone knows, everyone, knows, everyone knows that China's had its eye on Tahiti for a long time, you know? No, I don't think China is expansionist. I honestly don't believe China is expansionist. China just wants China just wants its own territory back. They want to reverse the 100 years of humiliation. Yes. That's why they've started suppressing everything in Hong Kong and Macau. Mm-hmm. China is not going to try and take back anything, is not going to try and take anything new they're only interested in conquering their old territory. They want Taiwan back. Mm. They want Hong Kong back. Mm. You know, I can understand that point of view. However, I honestly believe they've got to take a long, hard look at themselves in the mirror and say, well, yeah, we might call it a renegade province, but it's been a renegade province ever since the end of the revolution and I don't think we can ever have it back. Mm. You know, I think that they've got to negotiate I think that what would be good is if China actually sat down with Taiwan mm. and negotiated the, away the whole argument over the South China Sea and, you know, if Taiwan dropped their claim to the South China Sea, Taiwan, China would then drop their claim to Taiwan. You know, that is what I believe would be a reasonable position to get to, but it, I don't it, think you're ever going to get that. It's a bit like Mexico. They really have to give up their claim to Texas and California and Arizona. Just forget about it, really, and move on. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those things. Like yeah. Mexico probably has a reasonable historical claim to those territories. <laughs> However, True. they were they were pinched claim. by the Americans. They've got a better, you're right, they've got a better claim. Yeah, you know, they, they yeah. were pinched by the Americans well, and, yeah. you know, they're just going to have to move on from it. Yeah. Let's give a little bit of history here. So the whole debacle had its genesis in liberal leadership tensions. So Tony Abbott had the correct idea to purchase the vessels off the shelf from overseas, probably Japan, at considerably lower cost. He actually had quite a good relationship with the Japanese Prime Minister of the day. But there was bad polling in South Australia and upcoming leadership battle with Malcolm Turnbull. So because of political reasons, saw him change his mind and plumb for the the building of these submarines locally in South Australia in conjunction with the French. 
knowing that it would probably add about 30 to 40% to the price. So really the, the Japanese thought they had the deal and very surprised when they lost it to the French. And the French, one of the reasons they won was this promise about local sort of building that would happen in South Australia. And the the Japanese were a bit late in in, in getting clued up to the need to say that. So, so that's how, and really at the time, they didn't even contemplate having the nuclear-powered version from the French, as if it was just completely off the table. And, you know, there wasn't like there was a major discussion in Australia about it. They didn't, they just, it was never on the table to, to sort of think about the nuclear-powered version from the French. I think because they were worried that they couldn't service them because we don't have a nuclear industry but we don't we yeah. don't have a civilian nuclear industry yeah. here which means you couldn't service the can't be the reactors yeah. here so but surely we could train people to do it i don't understand why we couldn't uh we got smart people here surely it can't be that hard if the french can do it <laughs> I, I think we've got the, one nuclear reactor in australia mm. and that's at lucas heights yes. which is in the western suburbs of yes. sydney mm. now i don't believe it's big enough to provide you with the fuel rods and everything else that you're going to need to power right. a nuclear powered submarine right so what would you actually need to do is you would have to have a very long conversation with the public and you have to sell them on the whole idea of, nu of a civilian nuclear industry in Australia before you could then say to the French, yes, we'll buy your nuclear submarines. Mm. Or they'd have to duck back over to France once or twice a year or something uh, like that well, to offload their mm, well, fuel I th rods. Uh, I think the French version of the submarine lasts about, the fuel rods last about seven to ten years, whereas the American okay. version <laughs> lasts about 25 years or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. so really it would have just meant, you know, uh, shipping them over to France and replacing the rods and bringing them back again. I, I believe exactly. the Americans were concerned about Correct. French technicians being on America, seeing American secrets on board the Correct. Samsung. One of the problems was we were always going to put American weapons in them, and the Americans were worried that the French would learn too much about the American weapons and that they had breaches in their security and, and secrets would leak out through the French system in installing the American weapons in these submarines. So that's that was part of their concern. Yeah. So... Would they not have a problem with the Japanese finding out about American secrets aboard submarines that the Japanese had to service for us? I think or? they trusted the Japanese not to leak Both to the, the Russians. Or, yeah, uh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, but here's one point. God, one knows why. Yeah. One point about all this, and um, we'll get on to the French and how they've been treated. But in my view, the French should never have agreed to such a stupid contract. So, absolutely. When you they should have said they should have said it's nuclear or nothing. Yes. Indeed. So when you're a supplier of something, you sometimes don't sell something if you know it's not appropriate for your customer. So I'm in the yeah. selling game and, you know, we'll deal with art shops who might be looking at certain products and we'll look at their shop and their, their clientele and we'll say, look, I know you're really keen on this particular product, but from what I've seen of your business, this isn't going to suit you. It's not going to sell well and you're going to spend a lot of money and in six months' time, the stock's still going to be here and you're not going to be happy with me. So because I want a long-term relationship with you, I really think you shouldn't buy this product and maybe buy this other thing or, or whatever. But, you know, at times we've said to people, we're not going to sell you this product even though you want it because we just don't think it's good for you. And the French should have done the same thing in this case. There's another example I can think of, friends of mine in the mining industry, 
where they're selling technology to other mines. And this particular technology, one customer wanted to use it with a mineral and it hadn't really been used with that mineral before. And they sold them the technology. And of course, they're now having huge problems at this mine site because it's just not working with this particular mineral. And and that company is now going to badmouth this technology around the world and it's causing them enormous headaches. And they really mm. should not have sold the technology to them without, you know, a lot of more testing. And, uh, and really, sometimes you just have to say no when somebody wants to buy a stupid idea from you. So, yeah, exactly. so while I've got some sympathy for the French, so there's that. There's also, it seemed that while the contract, the idea of the contract was that lots of work was supposed to be done in South Australia and the French were always sort of backing out of that of trying to get as much work being done in France rather than Australia. So that was another thing that was going on. But, but we really, you know, according to reports, the day before the announcement, we had written to the French saying, we're happy with everything. It's all smooth sailing, literally. And then the next day, Morrison, after informing the Indians and the Japanese and the Americans that he was going to cancel the sub deal, then informed the French by text message. Just this is not it was very poor form. You know, it really was extraordinarily poor form on Morrison's behalf. You know, he's extraordinarily clumsy yep. with his international standing with people. He just doesn't seem to get it, does he? He's just a bully and a prick. Yeah. And that's how yeah. he deals with people, whoever he comes across. So, yeah. At least he didn't threaten to shout from them. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did and we just don't know. So, yeah. yeah. So, so what else have I got here in my notes? So, so. Yeah, not a squeak from the media about how bad the initial deal was, just how wonderful, well, first of all, how wonderfully quiet these nuclear subs are. And, dear listener, the way it works is, well, they're quieter than the diesel when they're operating, but a diesel you can actually shut off and convert to battery power, and that is that is silent, whereas the nuclear um, power plant can never be shut down and the coolant is always running. So a, a nuclear ship on idle is noisier than a diesel that's switched off and is on electric. So if I was sitting in a sub in the north of Australia and I had been told by reconnaissance that the enemy ships are about a day away heading directly towards me, I ideally would like to be in a nice small sub, diesel electric, that I would then be switching straight onto electric for a few days while I waited for them to come and pop them off. And I reckon that would be the safest option for me if I was a submariner looking to take on somebody. So, of course, if I wanted to go over to the South China Sea and start launching missiles, I'd rather be in a nuclear sub. That's you know, what are we there for? What are we using it for? That's the important part. None of that's um, being said. And that, that's the whole point. I don't know what it is being used for. Hmm. It's clearly something that the Yanks have actually said to the Australians, we're going to give you the arms. We need you to take the fight up to the Chinese. Yes. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if at some point a mistake happens and a torpedo is accidentally fired at something or, you know, it could get out of control very quickly. 
So let me see what else I've got here in my notes. It's just about cost effectiveness as well. Like you can get so much, you know, when you're talking about a small diesel electric sub, they are so much cheaper than these massive nuclear submarines. You can have so many more of them littered around the place. And the Collins class, so that's our current submarine, they're 3,000 tonnes. The now abandoned French designed attack class were going to be 4,500 tonnes. And the American and British that we're now looking at are more than 7,000 tonnes. So it's mm. two and a bit times the size of our current submarine. And that requires a lot of people to man these things. It's one of the hardest parts about operating a submarine fleet is finding people who want to work in one. And having these big monsters needing lots of people in them, it's going to be difficult to find the people to actually run these things. And if you think about it, in wartime, when you've got a massive investment in a sub where you've spent, you know, $8 billion on one vessel, you, you get scared to use it. You are worried about the cost of, of having that thing bound and sunk. And if you actually have much, you know, $8 billion subs, if you like, you end up you, you can take more aggressive and appropriate action. So, so they've certainly found in wartime that with some of the large aircraft carriers and, the, and other large vessels, there's a they've become a little bit ineffective because the fear of losing them. There's such there's so much money is poured into these things. So, so anyway, what have we got? We we haven't even signed we've got up a dozen of them. Yeah. Well, we, the thing is, we haven't even signed up to anything. All we've got hmm. is just a a deal, which is. We're going to have a study for 18 months and we're going to talk to the Americans and the British about what we might like to have at the end of that 18-month period. Well, the deal is that they're willing to transfer the technology to us, I think. Right. But the actual cost and design and all the rest of it, we haven't struck any deal. And yeah. at, No, at this, we haven't done that. And at this point, if you're the British or the Americans selling the subs, you know that, well, what's Australia going to do? They're not, they can't go to the French, who else is going to want to deal with us? It's not like there's a competitive process now. So we're just going to have to accept the least worst option of whatever this study comes up with. Like we've really uh, screwed ourselves in terms of options of international players who could participate in this. Don't, I mean, don't we, the Russians have some spare nuclear yeah, submarines yeah, they yeah. can sell us? You know, the smart thing would have been to say to the French, hey, guys, big mistake a few years ago made by these dunderheads. Obviously, this isn't working. We're going to have to go nuclear if that's, you know, what we're going to say. Why don't you give us a tender price on making these nuclear? And then we're going to compare that to a tender price from the US and the UK. Something like keep the French in and say to them, that's, why didn't we do that? We'd had an agreement with them to build this other <laughs> ship. The Americans were going to put weapons in there. It was all agreed to. It would have been so easy just to say to the French, give us a quote on making it nuclear and everyone would have been happy. Yeah, but you're dealing with a group of clowns that think they're business people but they don't understand business. They don't. They don't understand. You know, because that, that, is, that is honestly mm. the first thing a business person would do is say to get two competitors, sit them down and say, right, you give me a quote, you give me your best price, and then we'll make a decision after that. Mm. I, I'm surprised they haven't opted for coal-fired, actually. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> Smart coal, clean coal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay, one of the things in this is, is just the acceptance in the media in these reports that we need these subs because of the growing threat from China. And even, you know, the Guardian will say something like, US, UK and Australia forge alliance to counter China. And it's just accepted that there's this Chinese threat. Well, they released the virus on us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so they're done with us. Yeah. Honestly, it's just getting ridiculous. This, you know, what has China been doing that is so aggressive? They're not buying our shit. What are we doing to France? We're not buying their shit. You know, this this whole we're at war with China is is 1984 playing out in 2021 in Australia. We've always been at war with East Asia. I mean, China. It, it was only in 2014 that we signed a free trade agreement with Xi Jinping, and he was in our federal parliament and being lauded not only by Tony Abbott, by the entire Murdoch press in what a great deal it was, the free trade agreement, how wonderful it was. That was all Labor's fault. How wonderful it was to bring our countries together. This was only in 2014. And what have the Chinese done since that time in terms of aggression beyond when not buying your shit? And is that it? Is that it? Scott, you think there's massive provocation no, by the Chinese? I don't think there's massive provocation. I just honestly believe that China has behaved very abruptly, curtly, whatever you want to call it, to Australia. They have treated us very badly for a long time. But not buying now, stuff. You, now, okay, but not buying stuff. But also they've gone in there and they've said they've made all sorts of comments about you know, you want to make sure if you're going to travel to Australia because we're hearing reports that Indians are having the living shit kicked out of them, that there's racism across in every street and all that sort of thing. There is that sort of stuff that the Chinese government has actually put out. And have we done, anything, has... have we done anything that might have caused them to say that? Have we, have we accused Not them from... of human rights abuses that they might say? Oh, yeah, but the Uyghurs, that, that is a human rights abuse, what they're doing there. They're locking them up. You know, that is, that is clear-cut a human rights abuse. Mm. Now, have we actually said that publicly? Yes, we have. Now, you know, the most offensive thing I think Australia has done was when ScoMo said we've got to send in weapons, we've got to send in inspectors with weapons inspector-like powers. Correct. That was wrong. Mm. It was clearly a wrong thing to do, and that is and, why. And that's what kicked off most of these. I'm, I uh, agree wholeheartedly with you. Yeah. That is most of, what, most of what's kicked it off. Just, just to recap here, I mean, this really is 1984 with, you know, we're, at one moment we're at war with East Asia, then, we're, then we change and we're always at war with Eurasia or whatever. I mean, this is 2014. So... He, Tony Abbott boasted about his history-making trade deal with China as one of his greatest achievements as Prime Minister. He's since said that it was wishful thinking and he had a very benign view of China. But similar mea culpas haven't been forthcoming from the coalition's stenographers and cheerleaders in the Murdoch press. So Paul Kelly from The Australian has never admitted he was wrong in lauding the deal as, quote, 
a moment of transformation, of global significance, pointing the way to a glorious future in which an astute she would pull Australia far closer into China's orbit in coming years. This is all from The Australian. So let me just see here. This is what, they, this is what Kelly was saying at the time. The upshot is that China has gone beyond most Australian expectations in the free trade agreement. This is a strategic economic decision by Beijing that constitutes the platform for a wider partnership. It contradicts, again, so much of the misguided local commentary suggesting the Abbott government was risking relations with China. In his speech, an astute Xi bypassed any potential source of trouble. For Abbott, the speech was pure upside. China is playing a long and clever game with Australia. The message is writ large. Australia and China are going places together. This is from The Australian. Greg mm. Sheridan lauded the deal and insisted that there is not the slightest evidence that any Australian tradie would be a loser under this agreement. And uh, he was scathing in his criticism of Dan Andrews because Dan Andrews questioned whether it was all upside in this thing. So, and he, he basically poo-pooed Labor for questioning whether this free trade agreement was all as wonderful as being, was being painted. So now, seven years later, and really it's been happening, you could probably say a couple of years ago it started, probably five years later, and I think in 1984 it was every five years that the enemy changed. So <laughs> now News Corp and the government now insist exactly the opposite, that Labor is too soft on China, indeed has fallen into China's trap. In the words of an Australian editorial in December, Sheridan's reversal has been particularly risible. In 2015, he was, he was criticising Daniel Andrews. Last year, he was complaining that Andrews has handed China a propaganda victory for signing up to a Belt and Road Agreement. So editorial writers in the Australian have gone from declaring under the Free Trade Agreement, we welcome Chinese investment in Australia, to cheering the government's blocking of Chinese investment. Like you really have to understand how quickly this has just turned around. Who and they haven't fired a single Darwin. Y yes. Exactly. And what has this, has China fired a single missile at us? What have we done? It's plenty of provocation. Where we said we made a very provocative statement when we said that we should send in inspectors with mm. weapons inspector likes powers. And, and that also, was wrong. It was mm. very wrong, and it was completely clumsy of Morrison to say it. Yeah. And also, we're complaining that they haven't they're not buying our shit. Meanwhile, they wanted to bring Huawei in here and set up 5G, and they wanted to buy different infrastructure things, dairy farms and stuff. And we said, no, you can't buy it. So now I agree we shouldn't allow China. Huawei to set up 5G. There are some things you just can't allow, but but people have to be able to view this from the other person's point of view. You have to be able to put yourself in the place of the Chinese who are a superpower and this pissy little nation down here is having a big whinge fest. That's yeah, that's very true. Yes. So now, the other thing of all this, of course, is right at this moment, we're trying to get a trade deal with the EU and yeah, we just pissed the French off. That's we? right. So, you know, it was, it was incredibly stupid of Morrison because, you know, he didn't understand that with Angela Merkel stepping down, the de facto presidency of Europe was slotting over to Micron, yeah. you know, to what's his name? Macron. 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 Yeah. 
it was it was sliding over to Macron, and yet he just upset the French. Yep. You know, so our one ally in those whole EU trade negotiations is turned around and told us to get stuffed. Yep. And so the European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, said, one of our member states has been treated in a way that is not acceptable. So we want to know what has happened and why, adding that the situation must be clarified, quote, before you keep on going with business as usual. Meanwhile, our Trade Minister, Dan Tian, that's not depressing enough for you, Dan Tian <laughs> says... It's just very much business as usual when it comes to our negotiations on that free trade agreement. Jesus Christ. Are you commission saying, eh, you need to explain yourselves here. It's not business as usual. Dan Tien is saying, oh, I think it is. Meanwhile, at the very same time in the last couple of weeks, Australia is opposing China's bid to join a trade pact until it halts its strikes against our exports. So, so, so China on Thursday formally applied to join the world's biggest trading agreement, the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, but it will require the unanimous support of all the PACS members to be admitted. It was signed by 11 countries, including Australia and Canada, Chile, Japan and New Zealand in 2018. China wants to join. Australia's Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Trade Minister Dan Tian, who says parties to the agreement must have a track record of compliance with existing trade agreements and World Trade Organization commitments. And Dan Tian says Australia will oppose China's bid to join a key trade pact until it halts trade strikes against Australian exports. Does anybody just look at... The rest of the world must look at us and go, we are just a shitty bunch. We are just shitty bunch, the way we just beat our chests and treat people badly and then whinge when they treat us badly. I think most of the rest of the world, if they pay attention to Australia at all, it's just to laugh about the climate change. Yes, yes. Why are we so behind the rest of the world when it comes to climate change with the other thing? Yeah, because your average citizen of another country isn't going to be too concerned with Australian trade relations or submarines for that matter. But, you know, we just behave shittily towards other people and then when we get a smack on the nose back, we then go, oh, what do you mean? What? It's embarrassing. There was, um, there was something very funny on Batuta Advocate the other day that said that I only had to laugh. He said that, oh, God, I've lost it. Anyway, keep going. It'll come back to me. Yeah, no worries. Sorry. So now we've got AUKUS, this just a loose arrangement that in future will work more closely together between Australia, the UK and the US. And people think that is going to help our security in the region. And do completely the opposite. Who's How's going to go different to Five Eyes? It's, so uh, it, it doesn't, it just adds to the Chinese who are thinking, Who's the, the Chinese be thinking, who's going to attack us? America. And who might be helping them? Australia. Like, it just, just puts us in the mix in terms of if there is a war between China and America, then we're just once again underlining how close we are to America and that we're probably China's enemy. The UK has never done anything against China. No, no. And, you know, I mean... 
They've got every reason to want a medal in this part of the world as well, don't they? You know, it's so obviously a natural fit for them to be mm. swanning around here, throwing their weight around. Oh, God's sake. Anyway, this is all a bit of a repeat of what happened back in just prior to, just after the First World War. I've got a link to an article by Alan Patience from the John Menadue blog talking about one of our worst prime ministers who was Billy Hughes and essentially at the Paris Priest Conference, he did the dirty work in putting the Japanese offside and, and really... That was really offensive. Yeah, and basically Billy Hughes unleashed a tirade against the Japanese for proposing an anti-racism clause be inserted into the yeah. League of Nations Charter and Japan was deeply offended by Hughes's interventions and on leaving the conference declined membership of the League of Nations. So he goes on that the Japanese saw clearly what Hughes was way too stupid to realise that he was being cynically manipulated by the gang of four who were effectively running the show in Paris. So he did the dirty work to exclude the Japanese from the gang of four's white man's international politics club because the Japanese thought we're a burgeoning power in the region. We want to have some say in what goes on here and basically told the fuck off. Japanese were actually on our mm. side during the First World War. Indeed. You go to Albany in Western Australia and you'll see how there's pictures of Japanese ships escorting Australian ships across Australian the Indian Ocean. To, to mm. Turkey, yeah. yes. indeed. So according to this article from... Alan Patience, the similarities between then and now are alarming. Hughes was happy to provoke the Japanese clumsily and insultingly because he believed the British and perhaps the Americans had his back. He also loved being in the company of the great leaders at the conference. He was sure he was one of them, crowing to his supporters back home about his achievements. He was the runt in a house of fighting cocks. And this guy says... Morrison displays the very same faults. He is already crowing about his achievement in forging a so-called new alliance with his forever friends. He is stupidly blind to the fact that for the past few years, he, and therefore Australia, has been manipulated by the Americans and now the British into being their Billy Hughes front man in thumbing their collective noses at China. AUKUS is simply the white man's burden writ large in the Asia-Pacific and Australia is its city little cheerleader. So, I like that article from Alan Patience. Scott, do you want to disagree with any of it or you think that's about right? No, I, I agree with it. Mm. You know, I honestly believe that we've been we've been mm. co-opted into something the Americans want to pick on the Chinese for. Mm. And they sort of said, well, Australia's got problems with China right now, so let's, you know, bolster their ego and give them these nuclear-powered submarines. Mm. You know? Yep. So... What does the average Aussie think of all this? Will it mean anything down the track? I've got an article here from The Shot and put up on the screen a picture. Put that up there. And this, this article is saying, I'll read a bit of it here. If I were in a TED Talk right now, this would be about the time I pointed loudly to an oversized photo behind me of a group of American soldiers about to raise the US flag on a pile of war rubble. You know the one. You've seen that image at least once in your lifetime. Four or five or maybe even six soldiers grasping an almighty flagpole as they hoist the stars and stripes skyward like a giant middle finger. The up yours of American supremacy. We all know the image. It's iconic. 
Now, riddle me this. Exactly how many people are in the photo? What date was it taken? What was the specific geographic location? Who took the photo? What were the soldiers' names? Details, smeetails. Nobody remembers them because nobody cares. It's the image that's important. The image is seared in people's minds purely because of its symbolism, its simplicity. That's how symbolic imagery works. When something is so large and powerful, so symbolic and simple, it infiltrates our subconscious, like that photo of the six American Marines in Iwo Jima. We may not be able to tell anyone about the details, but we can all recall the powerful imagery, what it represents, and more importantly, how it makes us feel. That's a grand narrative. That's the power of the grand narrative. It doesn't rely on detail. So I'm going to put another picture up, which is basically a picture of Scott Morrison with Joe Biden and Boris Johnson flanking him on the television screens as this sort of AUKUS announcement was being made. And so what the article is saying that this is what Scott Morrison's team play with, imagery, the grand narrative, the idea you don't focus on the details too much, you just remember how it makes you feel. What team Morrison want you to think over and above anything else, above the policy and the presses and the talk of, oh, my God, nuclear submarines and the Twitter chatter, what they want you to think when you think of Scott Morrison, when you talk to your friends, when you swap the goss, when you go to vote, they want you to think that Scott Morrison is a strong leader, a hero of our times. They want you to feel it and know it deep in your bones. So that's the way they keep that imagery afloat is by pumping it full of air and reinforcing it all the time, constantly, every day of every week of every month. Scott is strong. Scott is our hero. Scott will lead us all to safety. So I think there's something in that, that Morrison looks good in a suit. I'll give him that. And he stands there and he's got, looks good in a he's, suit. He's got the look. You know, like Corbyn in the UK didn't look good in a suit. You know what no, I mean? No, he looked bloody awful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so... I would have thought Biden would look the pick of the three of them in a yeah, suit. Yeah, he looks sharp enough. But it's just... Yeah. People won't care about all the details that we've just spoken about, about what a shitty deal this is. All they'll go is, gee, Morrison, strong leader. You got us a deal with the Americans for nuclear subs. Must know his shit. Hooray. Like, that's what it's really going to come down to. I, I don't think he does know his shit. I, I know, but people won't get that. They'll just hear. No, 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 he, do, he doesn't know that he's shit. No, he doesn't know that either. <laughs> so maybe deep down he does. Maybe deep Maybe. down he knows he's a con. It'd be interesting. Who knows? But, you know, they'll just, he just needs to put out the picture of himself flanked by Boris Johnson and Joe Biden and says, look, I'm a world leader and I've got us some nuclear subs. And all that stuff that we've just talked about is all for nothing. Your average Joe will know nothing about it, couldn't care less. I find that quite depressing. I don't know if there's anything I can do about it. No, I agree with you. It is quite depressing when you realise that, you know, it's probably going to come down to that uh, that picture of those three men up there on the on the morning of the announcement of AUKUS. Mm. You know, no one actually will give a toss that there is no treaty or anything else that's being discussed. Mm. It's just an agreement that we're going to work together. But it doesn't even have that whatever clause it is in the ANZUS Treaty that says that, you know, that they will come to the aid in conjunction with their democratic processes. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't say the Marines are coming. That says that we're going to argue about it in Congress to decide whether or not to send the Marines, mm. you and know. 
in the chat room. That's Dye's, why. That's why. Sorry. So, sorry. In the chat room, Dire Straits says about the Iwo Jima photo. He says the cameraman missed the raising, had to get them to do it again. So it was fake, staged, whatever you want to call it. That photo. Yeah, I know. That's, that, that's have exactly you heard that? The point I was going to make. Yeah, mm. they they did actually do that the, a couple of days later. Right. And of the six blokes that raised that flag, I think two of them were killed in action or something like that. So they had to grab two more just to help it out. Okay, right. Yeah. It yep. was really quite a – it was very much a botched job. Right, yeah. Mm. So uh, it's really hard to get over that sort of imagery and there's just no capacity for an opposition leader to get the same image being flanked by world leaders. It's a huge advantage in incumbency. When you've got the Murdoch press on your side – which the Liberals do. It's very hard for Labor to overcome that imagery, I think. So I'm going to put up on the screen now. Let me just see if I'm able to actually make that even bigger. So this is uh, Essential Poll came out today and it said, which party would you trust most to handle the following issues? And on the issue of maintaining international relations, 37% trust the Liberals, 32% trust Labor. After the week that we've weeks that we've just had, people still think overall the Liberals are the best party for maintaining international relations and also managing the economy. I mean, and that was the other one I was going to get to as well is management of the economy. Forty-one percent say Liberals, thirty-one percent Labor. After the blowout in the budget that we've had, after the billions thrown at the Harvey Norms of the world and not clawed back. And then national security, Liberals 41%, Labor 28 The Liberals have been in charge of this entire botched submarine project and they're the reason why we're not going to have a submarine when the Collins class eventually rusts away and we don't yet have a new submarine and they'll be responsible for it. Like there's just these ongoing, ongoing myths. And quarter of Australians think that the Liberals are going to address climate change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it says, which party would you trust most to handle the issue of climate change? I guess that means if you're a denier, you would perhaps trust Liberals. Maybe. Yeah. So fair workplaces, yeah. fair wages and workplace conditions. There's also 28% would trust Liberals more than Labor over that. So. For God's sake. Mm. You know, I'm up here in Dawson and, you know, I've got George Christensen as my local member and he's a fucking clown. He's like, a member. He's, sorry? He's a country member. Yeah, I know that, but he's a clown. He's absolutely ridiculous. Like, you know, I actually got to the point where I had to write to him when he made that dunderheaded argument over climate change and all that sort of stuff. I wrote to him and I said, Mr Christensen, Sometimes it's better to be keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool rather than open it and remove all 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 pretenses to the otherwise. <laughs> yeah, all doubt. That's exactly what I said to him. You know, he's a clown. Mm. Anyway, just quickly. Sorry, um, I'll shut up. No, no, you interrupt whenever you not interrupt. Chip in, Scott, whenever you feel like <laughs> it. So I mentioned Huawei earlier on. So mm. really, Huawei is this sort of state-owned and controlled technology company out of China who's has really achieved some quite good technology with 5G, Joe, like are Huawei world leaders in some respects or not? Yeah, they produce uh, 
good quality cheap phone. Well, not even cheap. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say they're top of the middle tier. Yeah. Obviously, Samsung and and um, Apple are the the two leaders, but Huawei produce very good phones for the money. Yeah, and they know something about installing five G networks and things around, you know, around the world uh, and other countries. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that they were. Had they not been excluded on national security grounds, most countries, as in the UK, were looking at. I think they finally got pulled out. Yeah. But the UK and Australia were looking very hard at yeah. Huawei. Yeah. And, you know, it's obvious they are definitely state controlled, and we can't have that operating our telephone system yeah. in America, you, you, in Australia. You, like, that's clearly one we just. No. We, we have to say to them. You have to say no to that. That's right. But that's where you say it really gently and you say, guys, it's just not a good look. Can't do it for political reasons. Really love your product. Wish you all the best, but just not for us. Rather than, we're not taking you. And by the way, we're going to tell the rest of the world that they probably shouldn't take you either because of the risk. And we're going to really thumb our noses at you, which is kind of what we did. So, But there was an incident where the daughter of the sort of Huawei, so Meng Wangzhou, Wang Zhao, the wealthy daughter of Huawei's boss, she was held in Canada on charges relating to America wanted to extradite it out of Canada. So she had flown, I think, from China to Canada and was on her way to Mexico. So she was just transiting through Canada and American officials had a warrant for her arrest which they got the Mounties in Canada to execute and put her under arrest. She ended up in she, uh, home detention in a luxury villa. Yeah. yeah, house arrest, yeah. Hmm. But, you know, she was transiting through Canada and she was hauled out of transit. Shadows of Julian Assange. Exactly. And the reason was because there was another company which was alleged to have sold Hewlett-Packard computers to Iran to help them with their mobile phone operations. And America had an embargo or a a ban on people selling stuff to Iran. And evidence came out that there was a close association between Huawei and this other Hong Kong-based company, Skycam. So they basically said that she was guilty of a fraud because she'd used some of the money from Skycam shuffled it across to Huawei. That money was from selling Hewlett-Packard computers in Iran. And America had decided that it didn't want people selling stuff to Iran because heaven forbid that Iran should have a half-decent telephone sort of system in place. I think that violation of their trade embargo in Iran, wasn't it? Yeah, in violation of the US trade embargo. Yeah, I know, the trade embargo in Iran and that sort of stuff, which... You yeah. know, which I could understand, but they were the only country that was actually out there enforcing the law, enforcing the embargo against Iran. You know, well, it was their own embargo. No, no, it was it their was own the, embargo. Wasn't it? Wasn't a United Nations no, embargo? I agree. It was the US embargo. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, the so what the Chinese did was they just started arresting Canadians. Yeah, I know. And popping them and, and locking them up in jail in China. Yeah. Yep. And even ones who'd been tried, they tried them again and said, oh, we'll give you the death sentence this time on those drug charges. So they basically did... Uh, just did the, Took hostages. Played hardball with... Yes. 
took hostages, played hardball, and and America has had to blink and said, well, we're just going to drop it now. And she got released and, and got returned to China. And she said she arrived triumphantly at the tarmac and told Chinese state media, if it wasn't for a strong motherland, I wouldn't have my freedom today. Pity Julian Assange can't say the same thing. <laughs> Not that we're going to be taken prisoners. But... So that was interesting that, that the Chinese just played hardball and said, stuff you, we'll start arresting people, throwing them in jail, uh, death sentences, and leave our citizens alone. Anyway, you know, what you what get. The Chinese did. You know, they did yes. actually just arrest people that were Canadians and locked yes. them up. It was yes. terribly cruel what they did. It was quite effective, but it was terribly cruel what they did. Yes. But all you get from the headlines, even the ABC, says China played dirty to get Huawei Princess back. Too dirty even to tell its own people, because I was sort of saying that the Chinese media wasn't explaining to its people the sort of prisoner swap that they'd had to go into. So, but, you know, the ABC's guilty as well. They, they didn't tell our citizens about the dirty backstory of the Iranian embargo that got her arrested in the first place, yeah. you know, just because America wanted to be pricks to Iran. So, yeah, so that was that. Scott, the Prime Minister's office issued an edict this week that all Liberal backbenchers must get approval before speaking to the media. And at the same time... Anthony Albanese's foot soldiers are already forced to send final drafts of opinion pieces to their leader for approval or forced change before it's being submitted to newspapers. Is that going to happen with of... Craig Kelly? He's no longer part of the party, is he? No, 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 no but, I mean, is he going to have to submit it to oh, Clive? Up to Clive, probably. One would have thought so. I think it's really over the top. It's, you know, these... The politicians have never actually accepted that you can have a you can have a difference of opinion between the front and the back bench. Yep. And I honestly believe that Parliament is a lot poorer for that. Like back in the day, mm. you know, I'm going to show my age here by remembering Hawke and Keating. You know, they did have differences of opinion between the front and back bench. And they did actually argue stuff out in public. Most of the real hell bing, ding-dong fights took place behind closed doors, but they didn't actually try and suppress debate. They encouraged debate and they came up with a good set of policies out of that. So I honestly mm. believe our parliament is poorer for it. Very controlled of, of the politicians. Oh, God, yeah. 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 It's so really I remember cool. when Shay was, Shay was looking at pre-selection, yeah. looking at contesting, and they said, well, that podcast you've been on, yeah. have to get rid of that. Tell them to take the episodes down. And and now they're saying to elected politicians, yeah. well, you can't write any piece for a newspaper without running it past us, first of all. Just it's just embarrassing that they that you'd want to be a backbencher. No, if you can't speak your mind yeah. of these things. Yeah. You know, yeah. I honestly believe they ought to have a they ought to be able to be strong enough to stand up to their own backbench. And mm. actually they should actually be prepared to argue their point with the backbench and convince the backbench to go along with it. And then, you mm. know, the backbencher could say, look, I didn't agree with it at first. However, after some back and forth, I've come round to I come round to understanding what they're saying. So, you know, that's that's why I think that you'd be better off moving on. Yeah. 
uh, change of tack here. One of the earlier comments was from Jill who said, let's lecture everybody about human rights and stop the Biloela family from being returned. Arrogant pricks and possibly low-hanging fruit, they would win the election if they just sent them home. So, Jill, the situation's so bad with the Biloela family that even the Courier-Mail is backing that family now. Like, that's, that's how things have gone. So the Courier-Mail editorial said, yep, the world's gone mad as if we needed further evidence that the world has indeed gone mad. Late Thursday, we learnt Federal Immigration Minister Alex Hawke granted 12-month bridging visas to all members of an asylum seeker family from Bila Wheeler. Scott, except the youngest girl, she didn't get the 12-month bridging visa. And she's actually been born in Queensland. The effect of the decision is the entire family now needs to stay in community detention in Perth. It's not only bizarre, but it's sneaky and heartless. And Hawke, this is Immigration Minister Alex Hawke, did not even have the courage to explain why the family's youngest girl had been denied the same visa as her family. Didn't even explain it. It's because she's a terrorist, obviously. No, she's not a terrorist, Joe. I mean, this is the whole point. That both those children were born here in Australia. Both of them were born here in Australia. Yes. Their parents yes. arrived on separate boats. They met each other after they'd served their first initial term in detention and they got married and they procreated. They had two children born in Australia. Mm. So... I don't understand why the hell the two of them aren't just treated as citizens and then, you know, why the government is so determined to make such a song and dance over this whole thing. It's four people. Two of yep. them were born here in Australia. The other two met and fell in love in Australia. These guys yeah. are complete pricks. Absolutely. They are absolute bastards. You know, had they have just handled it very quietly before you'd even heard of the term Billawila, then they could have just given them bridging visas and all that sort of stuff say, and actually said to them, now don't you talk to the media. And the four yeah. of them would have kept their mouth shut. I can guarantee that, you know. Mm. But, no, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. You've got a community that actually wants them there. You've got, you know... He worked in an abattoir. She worked as a volunteer and all that sort of shit. And you've, yep. you've shown that they are integral, to, they have integrated into the community and the community loves and wants them and the federal government's saying no. It's, and you've got, a, a, you know, you've got a procedure that allows a minister just to exercise a discretion. I know. And say, okay. And had, I'm not setting any precedents here, but I'll just let you in anyway through my discretion. Yeah. Um, had they have done that before they arrested them in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. you know, because that's when it really blew up was after that. Had they have actually mm -hmm. had Alex Hawke or whatever the name, whatever the name of the immigration minister was at the time, had he have actually said to them very quietly, you can stay, but don't you dare talk to the media about this, then that would have been fine. No one would have ever heard of the town of Billawila. Look, further evidence for being governed by a bunch of pricks here, Scott, is this blind trust and um, oh yeah, and that Christian was Porter. fucking disgusting, wasn't it? You know, so, Christian Porter is an absolute prick. Mm. You know, now that's just completely indefensible what he did. He took that money from a blind trust, and he said, "Well, I don't know who it came from." 
you know, now Malcolm Turnbull was dead right where he said, you know, it, it's akin to a bloke arriving at your, at your office with a with a balaclava over his a head bag. and you're yeah, handing over a bag of cash. Yes. You know, it, it's exactly right. It, it's, yeah. It really makes you long for the warm, loving care of Malcolm Turnbull. Malcolm also said a blind trust is blind in that you don't know how it's investing rather than yes. you don't know where the money is coming from. Yeah, Correct. exactly. So you're, normally a blind trust is for, you know, say you become uh, the President of the United States, your assets should go into a blind trust so that if you make decisions that benefit certain sectors of the economy, you're not influenced by your well, own money. You don't know exactly. whether your money is in is in petroleum or whether it's in other things. So you're not influenced in making a decision that might benefit your own portfolio because you don't know what your portfolio is. You essentially put somebody else in charge of your portfolio. You don't know what shares they've bought. Yeah, it wasn't a blind so, trust. It was a, it was a no. bloody disgraceful thing that this yep. bastard did. And, and, you know, so, I was very pleased when he actually stepped down from the front bench. You know, I, I got a text message from Landon Hardbottom saying, oh, Christian Porter's right. gone. And I said to him, I yep. said to him, oh, Porter's gone. That's good. But I thought he'd actually quit Parliament. But no, he hadn't. No, so this is the thing. He's still a member of Parliament. Like, it's as if this, this isn't a rule that's only applicable to ministers of, of Parliament. It, sh it should be applicable to any member of Parliament. I agree wholeheartedly. You just, you, you just can't take a bribe. Yeah, exactly, and that's exactly what it was. Well, it was a well, bribe. Well, 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 you may not know who the person is, but... They'll let you know when it's time for the favour to be repaid. Yeah, exactly. like the whole risk of all this is that in six months' time you get a knock on your door and it's, oh, by the way, I'm Joe Bloggs and I gave you that money and now I want a favour. That's the whole problem with this. So, and the fact that these guys can't see this, they are just, its it was, there's just no accountability. No, none whatsoever. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's mind -boggling. And somebody like Josh Frydenberg defended Porter's actions. I know. Saying he had disclosed the donation in line with rules and blamed the opposition for the criticism, which he labelled as vicious personal smears. And he said the point about Christian Porter's legal defence is he did not use taxpayers' money, and that is very important, Frydenberg said. Labor will continue with their vicious personal smears and campaigns. I don't think Australians have got time for it. That's the that's the that's the state of democracy we've reached. That a a minister says, oh, "I don't think I should have to tell if I don't know where it came from. It doesn't matter." And now a member of parliament, which he is now still, exactly. saying, oh, "I don't think it's, it's important it's, to know where it came from. It's no wonder they are dragging their heels on the... Federal ICAC? Yes, that's what the word I was groping for. Thank you very mm. much, Joe. You know, that is, mm. it's absolutely no wonder they're dragging their heels on it because these bastards mm. know that that's exactly what the Federal ICAC, with some teeth, would actually investigate. Mm. Well, weren't so, they going to bring someone... it in in this term? Wasn't that an election um, promise? I don't know if it was a promise. It was something that was said in the election that I think, well, but, probably but the, did sound like a promise. But then, actually, no, Morrison said that he was more concerned with COVID than he was with ICAC at the time. Mm. You know, so apparently you can't walk and chew gum at the same time if you're a federal but, parliamentarian. But religious freedom and, ICAC, and, and COVID, you can do at the same time. I agree, and that's wrong, you know. In the chat room, Dyer Straits says Porter will be back, sadly, and I think he's right. I reckon middle of next, if the 
if if, if the, the Tories wins, win again, he could well be back. Middle of next term, he could well come back. Yeah, but Incredibly. I don't think that he's got much of a chance in PS. PS is a five percent margin that he's on currently. If the if the rule if the if uh, Western Australia votes the way they have in their state elections, then he's not going to be able. He's going to have a hell of a time holding his seat. So mm. that would be good if he did actually lose his seat. I don't think okay. it's going um, to happen, but it's always a possibility. Um, what, yeah. What's his opinion on climate change? Because what we've seen is former Liberals standing as independents on a climate change. So, so Liberal plus climate change seat. You mean if his electorate is one who are full of climate deniers? No, no, no. That he would uh, deny it? That yeah. most inner cities are, wasn't that why, what's his name, lost his seat? Tony Abbott. Uh, Abbott, Abbott. Abbott lost uh, his seat okay. to yeah. Zali Stegall because she was uh, yeah. running on a, on a platform of action on climate change. Hmm. So, you know, th there's no doubt there that you do have a, and that was also um, Malcolm Turnbull's seat, which was lost to, what was her name? The former AMA president. Yeah, I can't remember her. Yeah, but she, you know, she won that basically. She was arguing the whole thing about climate change. So yeah. I do think there is a groundswell of support out there to people in inner cities that are prepared to vote against the coalition but they're not prepared to vote for Labor, if you've actually got someone that's actually probably a an economic conservative but also saying that you've got to do something about climate change. Right. So okay. you could actually see an enlarged, an enlarged crossbench after the next election. So mm. you could end up with Albanese in minority government. Shay in the chat room says West Australians are particularly pissed with the feds. That would make sense. Absolutely, too. So they it's are. going to be hard. Yeah, even the best of candidates, they will have a, a backlash against them. Well, yes, that, and that's, that's exactly true. right. So I honestly believe that's uh, Shay, is it? That's your normal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. G'day, Shay. Yeah. How are you? I hope I'm not stepping on your toes by being on here tonight. It's yep. one of those things I honestly believe that uh, Porter would have a hell of a time winning that seat again if he did actually go again. Now, he said he's going to run. Well, he could well run, but he's probably going to lose because yeah. there, is a, there, is a, there, is a, there is a hell of a stink against him right now because of what he's done with his blind trust. You know, there's a hell of a lot of stink around that, and it's just one of those things that is really quite appalling that he's actually tried to get away with it. Jill in the chat room says, I'll be so disappointed if the women of Pierce vote for him. Presumably they are more than half his electorate. Yeah. Well, well there were plenty a lot of, of American women, women voted, voted for Trump. Trump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Scott. Yes. Thoughts on COVID? You're fully vaccinated? I am fully vaccinated, yes. Although I'm getting rather concerned that I, I had my vaccination, the second shot was on the 22nd of June or 20th. 28th of June or something like that. And they're saying yep. that the uh, immunization starts to wane after six months. So that yep. would mean that would mean that in six months' time, which is sort of the 28th of December, which is when me and the better half are looking at going to Singapore, I could mm -hmm. be actually losing my vaccination by then. So I hope that they're going to start rolling out booster shots before I actually do want to go overseas. So anyway. What date? When, when, when are you thinking of going to Singapore? 28th of December. 
All right. Very optimistic of you, Scott. Well, you know, it's one of those things. You, you can – well, Dan T had said that the international borders will be open by Christmas. So, yep. you know. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, just looking at a central report came out with sort of about vaccinations and the one that interests me with this is always the one where I'll never get vaccinated and that's sitting steady at 6%. So that's a nice lowish figure, I think. You know, we hear a lot about anti-vaxxers that have been in the news, with, you know, a lot, but 6% is a pretty low figure of the population that's saying I'll never get vaccinated. So that's heartening, I would have thought. So It is. You know, that would mean that you could potentially get as high as 94% of the country vaccinated. 94% mm. of adults. Yeah, but your kids, you, yeah. your kids will get vaccinated because if their parents don't care, then the kids won't care either. So mm, Probably the kids will match the parents. Yeah. yeah. But the, at the moment it's... Mm. Uh, down to sixteen. No, it's twelve. That, it's, it's you can, if you can get them, you can get them vaccinated as young as twelve. Because even my, over here, yeah, my brother, okay. my brother's had both his yeah. sons vaccinated. Uh, one's thirteen, one's twelve, and the only reason they didn't get their daughter vaccinated is because she's not old enough. Right. Mm. But as soon as she hits mm. twelve years old, she's going to go in for her first shot. Mm. Because we um, actually trust science in our family. So there's an article from the Economist which was looking at excess deaths because it's very difficult to work out how many people have died from COVID. And um, in this article from The Economist, it says, the standard method of tracking changes in total mortality is excess deaths. This number is the gap between how many people died in a given region during a given time, regardless of the cause, and how many deaths would have been expected if a particular circumstance, such as a natural disaster or a disease outbreak, had not occurred. So although the official number of deaths caused by COVID is now 4.6 million, uh, according to The Economist, our single best estimate is that the actual total is 15.4 million people. Holy and they find that there's a 95% chance that the true value lies between 9.6 and 18 million as opposed to 4.7. So the problem with excess at- is we went into a lockdown for a long period, mm. which meant the usual road deaths, the usual work deaths, all of those didn't happen. Mm. But on the flip side, people were avoiding going to a hospital for medical treatment. And so you heard of cardiologists who were saying that by the time people came in, it was too late to save them from the heart attack. If they'd come in 24 hours earlier when they were having their first twinges, they'd have been mm-hmm. able to save them. So mm. you, you... But is that last one, is that last example a, really an example of a COVID death? Because it kind of related to a COVID death, isn't it? I don't think well, it's actually by a the pand- is, it, it is... Is, it, is it caused by the pandemic, though? It's sort of a pandemic related Or is it death. caused by the lockdown, which is the reaction yes. to the, the, yes. the pandemic? Yes. But the, yeah, the, point, that's true. the point is it's not a simple take what your usual number of deaths are and look at the total number of deaths that we've had. That yes. excess death is, is, is a complicated number. Yes. Yes, that's true. It is a complicated number and it's not conclusive by any means. But anyway, that's a big difference. Current level 4.7 million. But really, 
arguably based on excess deaths, 15.5. It's interesting anyway. So that was from The Economist. Okay, they actually stopped counting COVID deaths if they died outside of a hospital or a nursing home. You know, so there were all these people that were dying yep. at home from COVID, but they weren't, they weren't actually saying that they were dead from COVID. Yeah. There's actually a good talk by Professor David Spiegelhalter, who is a professor of um, statistics, talking about the statistics during the pandemic and actually looking at those numbers. He's also on the board of the Office of National Statistics, um, mm -hmm. and he's done a number. He He's regularly interviewed, and one of his uh, things in his presentation was how much he gets taken out of context. Mm. But if you actually yeah, listen I... to him, it was very, very interesting talking about the deaths in nursing homes compared, or sorry, the deaths in private homes compared to nursing homes and hospital. Mm. Yep, yep. So got another interesting one to put up on the screen. And this one is about California. So California recently had an attempt to recall the governor. They've got a strange system there where kind of like your state premier, you can have a re-vote on them if 15% or so, quite a small number of people ask for it. So anyway, they had a recent election in California and I'm showing on the screen two maps of California and the, the green is the people who voted for a recall, which means they wanted to get rid of the Democratic governor. And the map on the right shows the hotspots for COVID cases. <laughs> And there's a really strange, strange correlation, correlation there, yeah. between wanting to vote the governor out, because presumably you're a Republican, and being a hotspot for COVID cases because of whatever reason. So you're either not taking precautions, you're not wearing your mask, you're not vaccinated. Um, it's just interesting that something like vaccinations, mask wearing, etc., is becoming a political issue, aligning up with your political belief. Yeah, um, I know. It's absolutely crazy. I was listening to Cognitive Dissonance this morning and there were a couple of guys that um, probably spoken about before, but they were um, saying that Biden was right. This is, a, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated now. And he said, you know, in America where we're swimming in vaccines, you know, there should be no excuse whatsoever. Just go out and get the fucking shot, whether it's their exact words, you know. Right. Yep, yep. There's um, a podcast called You Are Not So Smart that talks about... Yeah, that's very good. I've listened to ...logical biases and, and was talking about masks and how masks have become political. Yeah, and there was there was a three-hour-long episode which was all about talking to the anti-vaxxers in your life or not necessarily anti-vaxxers, the people who aren't considering getting the COVID vaccine and saying that actually a large number of people who are anti-mask and Republican are sneaking in the back door of pharmacies to get the COVID shot. Because whilst you can have a vaccine and still pretend that you haven't, it's very right. difficult to wear a mask and pretend that you're not. Is that right? Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? There we go. Hey, Andrew in the chat room said you're not seeing a map, but you should be able to see it. Surely that's working. Yeah. Everyone must be able to see that. I had um, it on and then off again. Yeah. It's one of those things that I find absolutely ridiculous that they don't, that it's become a political issue about whether or not you get a vaccination. 
you know, and there was another thing that there was also on cognitive dissonance this morning was a guy that was saying that he was saying that there was a he was he'd written in he'd written an article and he said you know the reason why that the the Democrats are all laughing at these Trump Republicans that are dying is because they want us all dead. Go out and get the shot to make sure that you don't die. You know, it's one of those things that is absolutely ridiculous. That it sounded like it was an article from the onion or something like that but it wasn't that actually looked into it It was a genuine article from a bloke that claimed that you know the democrats want us all to die i i found the article actually yeah he was the editor of a right-wing newspaper oh okay gotcha and it was howard stern the shock jock Mm. who was laughing about republicans dying of covid Mm. Basically, it was he was laughing at people who had been vehemently anti-vax dying of COVID, mm. and and saying yes, this was a grand conspiracy to persuade Trump voters not to get the shot so that they die off, because the margins are so narrow that then in the next election the Republicans would lose, would lose Which a lot is- of marginal. One of the things that I honestly believe could actually happen if you have enough of these right-wing Christian nutters that are actually saying, you know, Jesus is the only vaccine I need, then they're going to end up dying. So you could end up killing off a hell of a lot of the problems for the Democrats. Hey, something's really weird happening, Joe, where people couldn't yeah, see the map. I'm looking for I, that. I, I don't know why they wouldn't be able to see that. It should. It's sort of showing up on ours, isn't it? So I just wonder if I try... If somebody... If the map eventually shows up could you just let us know in the chat room because what we're looking at it seems like it's there and it just doesn't make sense that you can't see that so don't know what's going on there so just keep us informed or i'm gonna have to move on anyway from that map but also i'm seeing the map um, on facebook right okay maybe because i changed the screen to that one joe i don't know what happened there but okay They've got the map anyway by the looks of it, so let me just put that on to make it a bit bigger. A bit of luck. Okay. Just briefly, I think you sent this one, Joe, because in America what they're finding is that it's the Republicans who are dying from COVID. And they're starting to worry about the next election in that just the number of Republican voters are disappearing, which is going to give an advantage to the Democrats. So from Breitbart... I honestly hope it does. Right. So Breitbart, there was an article where they are basically accusing the Democrats of kind of a reverse psychology. So here's the article from Breitbart, which is a very right-wing online magazine. Do you want to know why I think Howard Stern is going full monster with his mockery of three fellow human beings who died of the coronavirus? Because leftists like Stern and CNN and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Anthony Fauci are deliberately looking to manipulate Trump supporters into not getting vaccinated. Nothing else makes sense to me. So in a country where our elections decided on razor-thin margins, it does not benefit one side if their opponents simply drop dead. That does it not benefit one side if their opponents simply drop dead? If I wanted to use reverse psychology to convince people not to get a life-saving vaccination, I would do exactly what Stern and the left are doing. I would bully and taunt and mock and ridicule you for not getting vaccinated. 
knowing the human response would be, hey, fuck you, I'm never getting vaccinated. So when you look at the numbers, the only numbers that matter, which is who's dying, it's overwhelmingly the unvaccinated who are dying and they're just, and they have just manipulated millions of their political enemies into the unvaccinated camp. So the right wing thinks it's a reverse psychology conspiracy. So that's what's going on in Breitbart. Scott... Queensland Police Commissioner Tarina Carroll has told officers they will be suspended without pay if they haven't had their first COVID jab by October 5th. I don't have a problem idea with that. Idea. It's, a, it's, a, it's an absolutely sensible idea. You know, I wish you could make it mandatory. You can't make it mandatory. So, you know, you've got to be able to make it mandatory in the places you can. They can do it there. So I honestly believe they should do it. So there was a case heard recently it was a case of a health worker and there was a there's a New South Wales mandatory vaccination order on health workers and so a health facility was able to say to people, you're sacked if you're not vaccinated because our health order requires us to have you vaccinated. So that was in New South Wales recently. So with this Queensland one, there are exemptions, Scott, for police officers. For religious exemptions. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> For medical, religious or exceptional circumstances. Have you seen the flying spaghetti monster letter about vaccines? Yeah, that was really very interesting, wasn't it? I heard about that on a podcast, actually. They they said that they're going, to, they're going to issue an exemption to everyone that says that it's our religious belief that you can't force our people to work alongside someone who's unvaccinated. Yes. So they're saying that you know you've got to actually you've got to actually you've got to actually get everyone vaccinated to fit in with the tenets of the flying spaghetti monster religion. Right. They they had us in the first half. It was written that we're against harmful substances being entering into our bodies, and therefore we it's against our religious beliefs for us to work against unvaccinated people. Yeah. See, someone like the Satanic Temple in America will have a bit of a problem here because in fighting the abortion laws, they say that everybody's body is inviolate and they have the right to make their own personal decisions about their body. So that would indicate a pro-anti-vax stance on religious grounds. But but also... but the freedom to not work alongside somebody who is unvaccinated and therefore mm. enforcing segregation. It's one of those things I don't think the Temple of Satan in the US would be actually arguing against vaccination. You know, no, I don't I, think they uh, would either. But no, if you take that basic tenet and apply it to this particular circumstance, there's a problem with it. Well, there's a problem with no. it. You could actually say that you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be supporting compulsory vaccination which you can't get away with in the US. I mean, Biden's trying yes. in, in the federal government over there and he's having a hell of a time mm. getting it through. Yes. Yeah. So... You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. The United States was the second country in the world to come up with a COVID vaccine. You know, mm. the first was Russia. The second was the United States. They're absolutely mm. swimming in the stuff over there, but they can't get their people to take it. Germany will stop paying compensation to unvaccinated workers who are forced into quarantine by coronavirus measures. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly mm. with that. Yep. So it will affect people who test positive for the virus if they haven't been uh, vaccinated before. So that's a bit like what I was suggesting, where maybe 
sick leave shouldn't be available for a COVID sickness if you are unvaccinated because you've had the chance to reduce the severity of it. Yeah. So there's also, I did see an article by a healthcare worker saying a lot of healthcare workers feel that they've put their lives on the line to look after people in a very virulent and deadly disease. And the health mm. workers have, you know, despite being young and zero comorbidities, have still ended up dying because of the high viral loads that they were exposed to initially. And they are sick of it. And they're saying mm. that realistically, they want the ability to treat or to triage unvaccinated patients at the bottom of the list. Mm. And saying that this this goes against their training to treat everybody equally, but conversely, they've put their lives on the line, they've sacrificed a lot for this, and they're sick of people who refuse to believe the science until it's in their interest, until they're sick enough that they want to come to hospital. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think when resources get scarce... And there's not a lot of fat in the system when it comes to ICU beds and ventilators. So no. if it comes down to choices of doctors will look at it and go, who's most likely to survive? Who can we help? Who is, if you're unvaccinated, you are putting yourself in the camp of perhaps not getting access to the limited number of ventilators. If there's a choice between you and a vaccinated person, that choice will mean that the vaccinated person is more likely to get the ventilator because they're more likely to survive it. So, hmm. Exactly. That could all pan out. Mm, terrible for the health professionals to have to do that. So, all right. Well, it is terrible, cool. but it's one of those things. Mm. Scott, we're about to uh, finish up here. We've made it to the hour and a half mark. Even though Shay's not here, we have to get there just to keep her out of the shark tank that yeah, exactly. uh, Landon Hardbottom threatens her with every yeah. week. So, any issues that you've heard over the past uh, two years, Scott, that you uh, wanted to. Uh, Chip in on about that uh, oh, you wanted to so disagree with or anything, so or you just wanted to agree with me on everything. No, was I don't it? want to agree with you on everything. It's one of those things that it's one of those things. I thank you very much for having me on tonight. I really enjoyed it. And the essential Lord Don, thank you very much for welcoming me back. I thoroughly enjoyed myself tonight. It was it was really good. It was uh, like being uh, back on the horse again. It was really good. So. Thank very you very good. much. All right. Well, you're looking good, Scott. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to uh, sign off. Next week, I will have an interview or a book or something. I'm not exactly sure what that might be, but something a bit different. And then with the panel in two weeks' time, I think Shay will be back by then. So, Scott, we might see – well, I'm away this weekend – but you're possibly going to be in Brisbane. Yes, so lockdown. If, people... if Brisbane isn't locked down, I'll be I'll be in Brisbane this weekend. Yeah, so. right. Do you want if... to tell people where you're going to be, or should they just contact you privately? Uh... It's up to you how public you want to be with that. You All contact right, Scott if you know Scott and you want to see Scott. Yeah, um, if, send if us you want a to message see me, and we'll... send us a message, and I'll get in contact with you. Yeah, yeah, in Brisbane Sunday after Sunday, Sunday afternoon at three p.m. Yeah, yeah, venue to. It's the top secret. Exactly. But, yeah. but the venue will be will be made will be made available yeah. to you if you wish to contact me. <laughs> All right. No worries, Scott. Enjoy that. And to everybody else, thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Okay. See you. Bye now. Good night from him. Let's say China. You take China. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
I love them. China. China. And I have to have my China. China. China because China. 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 I know China very well. China. Northwest Wisconsin, where I'm from. It's China to me. China. 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 You want to buy from China? That's great. Buy from China. Buy toys from China. China in particular. China. China. I have people that I know in China. 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 China! Let me ask you about China. China. I go to China. So don't tell me about China. I know China. <laughs>